Good morning. How's everyone today? Cold like me? <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have any hockey fans in the, uh, we got one, Jim, uh, but the West Regional is taking place this weekend in Fargo, and uh, anyway, uh, my family has a little hockey pool, we go through and pick winners, and but when ESPN carries the game, they usually have a little drone fly over the city, uh, and last night I was sitting down ready to watch the game on my computer, and uh, sure enough, the drone came in over Shields Arena, and immediately I got a text from my niece, who lives down in Florida, and she said, it looks like you have four feet of snow cover there. Uh, don't you realize that spring has come? And uh, of course, uh, I said, yeah, thanks for that reminder. Uh, anyway, um, it's good to be here. Uh, I am going to be sharing uh, what is known as the treasure principle. And one of the purposes of teaching on varied topics from the Bible uh, is to dispel this false notion uh, that the Bible is outdated. Uh, even we see that in, in my conversations, even with some Christians, uh, you know, challenging the, the validity of God's Word. Uh, we know the Word of God to be timeless, and these principles I'm sharing this morning were written by Solomon about 920, 925 B.C., or almost 3,000 years ago. And so we understand that the Bible has the definitive word <coughs> on any topic, from marriage to money. And some of you know before my, my uh, calling by God to get into ministry, I had my own financial services business for 18 years, uh, helping people succeed uh, to achieve financial freedom, but more importantly, financial peace. Um, anybody can become a millionaire. That's one of the things I used to tell clients. I can help you become a millionaire, uh, but understand that that can be a trap as well. Uh, because a lot of times we're persuaded, uh, certainly in the world, that money or wealth is what identifies us. And the reason I wrote Solomon's Seven Secrets, a book, is so that, yes, we're inclined to be financially free. As if you read the book, you'll find that the last chapter or the last principle, number seven. Uh, but more importantly, we're to live with financial peace. And so wanting people uh, to accomplish their financial goals, but also know that money never defines us. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And to me, there's a clear message, even a clear warning from Christ saying, master your money or money will be your master. And I want to start this morning, just a, an awakening, if you will, two intrinsic truths on investing. What we value, we spend time and or money on. That's the first truth. The second truth is we're all making investments in something every day. We're all investing 
all the time. For example, moms, in fact, uh, Paul told me on the drive home on Tuesday how much uh, investing you do, Haley, with your children. Amen? We're investing time. We're investing time in relationships and things like that. But the reality is, I want you to think that we're always investing. If we're just sitting on the couch and watching movies all day, well, we might be say we're investing in leisure, but we might be investing in, in slothfulness as well. But we're all making investments. You know, interestingly enough, <clears throat> that God speaks <clears throat> more about money than any other topic in the Bible. And so the question is, why do you suppose that is? Because money is power? You know, the one with the money is the one with the power? Or is it another principle or another truth? You see, if, if money is power, then yeah, we buy into that. And that's what the world buys into, that money is power. But it's certainly not the truth if we're living for God. And Jesus, again, with this, this principle in Matthew 6.21, I think what he's saying is we have to understand the single greatest trap to detour us from a life of devotion to honor God is money and how we handle it. So I want to begin with a question, and this is an audience participation question, so feel free to shout out your answer. Uh, is there something more valuable than money? No, I want examples. Jesus. Family, relationships, people. Health? Hey, you're getting ahead of me here now. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I, I have, how about love? How about truth? Truth is more valuable than money. We're going to see this morning, I'm going to give you some examples of people with money and without truth and the costly mistakes uh, that occur. In fact, Psalm 49, David writes, is totally devoted to those people who trust only in their wealth. We're going to track the three richest men or three of the richest men. I mean, it seems like these wealthiest people are always jockeying for position, but Jeff Bezos, uh, as of January 31st, had a net worth of $127 billion. Bill Gates uh, had a net worth again, as of January 31st, of $113 billion. But guess what all that money couldn't buy? It was love. They both recently went through divorces. Um, better question, can you think of anything money can't buy? And I gave this message about three weeks ago to the hockey team. Uh, and the answer has to begin with an H. Can you think of anything money can't buy? Health, hope, heaven. That was uh, one of the guys up, uh, just came to the Lord about a month or so ago. He came down uh, a few weeks ago and, and uh, spent church with us. Uh, but yeah, he shouted that out uh, in our chapel meeting. I said, amen, ding, 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 give the guy a prize. I didn't give him a prize, but yeah, health, happiness, and heaven. Some of you may have read the 72-year-old story, or the, the story of the 72-year-old man, Thomas Lee. Who is Thomas Lee? 
just an investment finance guy, super wealthy, $2 billion net worth, and a month ago, he took his own life. You see, we're duped, not we as believers, maybe, but the world is duped into thinking that money uh, really is valuable when it isn't. It isn't. It's the greatest trap, as Jesus says, to detour us from a devotion or life of devotion. You know, you think about that. I, I ran the math after I read about Thomas Lee's suicide. If he had the money in the bank at 4%, he'd have to spend $7 million a month or $225,000 a day. And he still would have the same net worth 30 years later. And yet he took his own life. He took his own life. And you see, God is warning us. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and understand that we've missed the mark. I don't know what was going through his head at the end of his life, but it's clear he missed the mark. So what is the treasure principle? Well, it begins first and foremost with Psalm 24, verse 1. David penned this uh, by the Spirit of God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns it all. For you who are worried about our fiat currency, uh, I love this verse in Haggai 2.8. Paul, you talk about gold and silver once in a while. Had a young brother came down from Grand Forks this past week and wanted to talk about investing principles, in particular gold and silver. But what does God say on that issue? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. I think we get the picture. God owns it all. Amen? God owns it all. God even owns my life. may not realize that, but the world and all who live in it. I am owned by God. You know, years ago, uh, I was at a singles conference. I got invited to speak at a singles conference with our Minneapolis churches. And uh, they had this little golf tournament, divided us up into teams. My youngest daughter was with me. She just got back from Poland on her one-year mission and was living with us. And so I uh, brought her out there and had this young man put on my golf team. And he came up to me. I'm strapping my golf clubs in my cart. And, and he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I don't own any golf clubs. Would it be okay if I use your clubs? Uh, to which I responded, they're not my clubs. They're the Lord's. And he kind of gave me a funny look. And everything I own is God's. Even my children are given to me as a gift from God to raise up in the holy fear of the Lord. So if God owns it all, then who am I or what is man in relation to this truth? Simply a tenant or a steward. And the truth is a steward manages money according to the owner's desire. In this case, to honor the owner, which is God. That's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, 10% of all your crops. And the truth is, to handle money, according to God's word, is the stewardship principle. That I understand that God owns it all. Even me. And the steward... A steward's responsibility is to manage well. 
uh, the owner's possessions. And to do that, God makes it clear. How do you manage my possessions? Well, Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the, the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. You know, one of the great uh, things that, that we discuss uh, in church is, is giving. And in Grand Forks, we were committed as pastors. Yeah, it's important to teach on tithing and giving. Um, and so we did it once a year, uh, usually sometime the first quarter of the first year. But the reality is, don't think for a moment that God needs my money. Don't think for a moment that this church needs your money. God isn't concerned about that. What he's concerned about is our hearts and where our hearts are. And so we're going to look at a few truths. But a faithful steward gives a tenth of their income to God, to the local storehouse. Leviticus, God writes, the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And it really identifies who and what we trusted, or maybe even the level of our faith. Can I commit my finances, my money, to God's principles, God's way of handling it? And I did it for 18 years. I've been practicing it for over 40, and that's why I wrote the book on it. Uh, so let's begin. Verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. You know, and I thought about, well, you know, I'm just going to skip over this passage. Uh, I mean, it's got relevance, uh, but, you know, it, it, really, uh, it really fits well with our position on standing on the word of God. You see, those in power, what Solomon's saying, what God is saying, those in power must guard against oppression. And in our world, money is the most prevalent tool used to oppress people. In particular, our political system and our political structure. Governments tax people into poverty. If you don't think so, this is a ruling from Chief, uh, John, Chief Justice John Marshall in 1819 when some in Congress were trying to pass an income tax. Lo and behold, 200 years ago, he said this, the power to tax involves the power to destroy. And we need to understand that all tax is regressive. In fact, when our, our nation was founded, uh, they were being taxed by the King of England, right? But the only tax that was instituted was a use tax. In other words, the more you use, the more you pay tax. You go to the gas pump, and I don't know, what is it, 50, 60 cents a gallon goes to state and federal governments. So if you're pumping 100 gallons a month in your tank, you're paying your fair share, right? So I'll give you an idea of how politicians are using taxes to tax people into poverty. You know, in 1913, Congress enacted the federal income tax. Now, anybody want to take a stab at what that tax was? Along with the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve, thank you. Anybody want to take a stab at what that tax was? Huh? Wow, well, 
close, 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 getting closer. It was 2% on your income over $4,000. And reading some of the transcripts, they said that's all the federal government will ever need. Isn't that something? And then in 1935, they enacted the Social Security tax. And that tax was 1% on the first $3,000 in wages. Now, you don't have to be uh, a rocket scientist to know where we are today with taxes. We're taxed everywhere I go. In fact, I just read this morning, Tax Freedom Day is now June 4th. June 4th, just about halfway. In other words, we're taxed so much until June 4th, the average American doesn't start to keep his own money her own money. Oh, that's enough said. Politicians always want to guard against increasing taxes. There's never a tax. Well, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> so let's talk about God's six warnings of wealth. Number one, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The more you have, the more you want. That's the nature of the beast. The great danger, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people misquote it and say the root, but it's just one root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we see, we see throughout Scripture, Solomon Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the great warning is don't fall in love with money. It's the great deceiver. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 14, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce so that you may learn to fear the Lord. You know, we have a little expression up in Grand Forks because I was always the one, I don't know why, I always got... Uh, tag to preach on tithing up in Grand Forks. I think Tom was a little concerned if the people stoned the pastor for the audience, the, he'd, he'd be safe. But it came to a, a, a Bob Talk Tithe. That was, that was a little expression that was around the circle. Bob Talk Tithe. Bob Talk Tithe, real good. Uh, but God reminds us, Deuteronomy 8, 18, I, even I, the Lord, it is I who give you the ability to produce wealth, to produce your income. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produced so that you may learn to fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord evaporates the love of money. When we understand what it is to honor God with our finance, it's a simple step. Secondly, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? And the truth is, the more you have, the more you spend. We're all broke at different levels, I like to say. You know, I got first exposed to this when I started my financial business. I did taxes for my clients if they wanted. And, uh, you know, back in the day, you could write off all your credit card debt, your loan debts and everything like that. Now it's just mortgage interest, right? They keep whittling away all of our deductions. But uh, I had this young couple that came in, this 1982 combined income of four, or 40,000 each, about combined income of $80,000. 
And they brought in all their credit cards, you know, the annual statements, how much interest they paid. And uh, so I had to total it up. They had over $60,000 in credit card debt. 60000 I about fell out of my chair. See, the more you have, the more you spend. We're all broke at different levels. In spite of the wealth of this nation, and according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the average American today is going to have $2.6 million passed through their hands. And yet, 60% retire at or below the poverty level. 87% of Americans that are retiring today only have Social Security income. That's all they have. That's why I don't know about you, but whenever I sit down to watch television, I see they're just bombarded with these senior life insurance commercials, right? They don't want to leave uh, the funeral expense to their parents. They, they don't even have enough money to make. Social Security will give you, I think it's $355 for a funeral. They don't even have enough money for their own funerals. And yet $2.6 million is passing through your hands. That's why I say wise money management begins with the first dollar you make and the last dollar you spend. Number three, the sleep, verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The more you have, the more you worry. Do you know that, guess what? And I wrote this book several years ago. I've been teaching on this. But money is still the number one worry of Americans. All that wealth passing through our hands, and yet they worry. 25%, this is according to Gallup, worry all the time. 59% worry constantly. I didn't get a chance to read into the difference between all the time. If that means like while they sleep too, they're, they're worried about money. But 77% of Americans are worried about their financial future. Worry is still the number one concern of Americans. Verses 13 and 14, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. The more you have, the more you're likely to spend it unwisely. Unwisely. Here's some crazy stats. 78% of all pro athletes are broke after three years of retirement. You think about the millions of dollars uh, who just signed? Uh, oh, David Posterdock, my Boston Bruins, just signed an eight-year deal worth about $160 million. 78 or 15% of NFL players file for bankruptcy within 12 years after their careers. But it's not just those people. 75% of lottery winners the lotto, the big ones, 75% of those winners are broke within seven years. Isn't that crazy? The more you have, the more likely you to spend it unwisely. Verses 15 through 17, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. There's no U-Hauls behind the hurts. That's what Solomon's saying. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? 
all his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. The fifth truth is the more you have, the more likely you are to trust in wealth. To trust in wealth. It's, a, it's an easy trap. Jesus reminds us in Mark 8.36 of what money can't buy when he said this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The trap of wealth. Jesus tells a parable, uh, <coughs> excuse me, of the, uh, the steward uh, in Luke chapter 12. And he had, he was a farmer and he had this huge crop came in that year and he's, oh, what will I do with all my wealth? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And then I'm going to take life easy and I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to pursue merriment. But I love this in verse 20. But God said to him, but God said to him, you fool, you fool. Anybody who trusts in their wealth, anybody is a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will give, and who will give what you have prepared for, uh, prepared for yourself? Who will get? See, we're all going to have to give an account of everything that God has entrusted to us as stewards. Not just our money, but the gospel, serving, all of those things. We're going to all give an account. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul addresses this. The foundation is Christ, but every man builds on that or should be building on. If he doesn't, if he uses gold or silver, costly jewel, it's all going to be burned up. He will, he will escape as one escaping from the flames of the home. And what I want to be clear is that we're not going to lose our salvation. But we're not going to have any rewards either. And then verse 17, all his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And the sixth warning is the more you trust in wealth, the more unhappy you become. And Solomon repeats it twice here, two times. For those whose only aim is more money, he toils, she toils for the wind. Have you ever pursued something your whole life and never attained it? Well, if you did, I pursued my wife like that for a while till she finally agreed to marry me. But if you pursue something your whole life, like Thomas Lee, money, J.D. Rockefeller, you go on and on and on. And then you realize at the end of that rainbow, it isn't a pot of gold. It's a pot of fool's gold. You've been fooled. You've been duped. And the reality is, if that's your goal, you will end up frustrated, dissatisfied, bitter, empty. So anybody want to volunteer this, win, this week to toil for the wind? Anybody want to Toil for the wind? No. You know, sometimes I hear, well, that wouldn't be me. If I won the lottery, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be broken. Oh, I'd give so much money away. I even had a pastor tell me this one time at a conference. You know, investing in some stock, and if it 
took off. Oh, there's all the things he was going to do with it. And so my question always is the same. How faithful are you with little things? How faithful are you with the little things? Jesus in Luke 16, 10, and I want to read this because that's the compelling point on this whole area to keep ourselves free from the love of money. We have to understand that it begins with the first dollar God blesses us with and it ends with the last dollar we spend as a steward. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is unfaithful with very little will also be unfaithful with much. So those are the six warnings. And then Solomon concludes with what I like to call the faithful steward's way, the faithful way. Then I realize that it is good and proper for man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is a lot. In other words, God is embracing working hard. Right? Working hard. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life. I love this part. Because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. We don't hear that term too often, do we? Gladness of heart. Is there a song, brother? I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. It, what? But is, but is there a gladness in that song or not? Oh, maybe we could add it. There's a gladness down in my heart. Down in my heart. A gladness of heart. Now I want to be clear. Money is not bad, Right? Money is not. God blessed and gave many people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And even today, God has blessed many people with wealth and possessions. That's not the idea here. With God, it's all about how we view and use it to honor and glorify him or not. And this is a principle that we need to understand. It's called reaping and sowing. And this principle was first introduced by God in Genesis 2. Reaping and sowing. When he told Adam, you're free to eat from every tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. See, reaping and sowing, you obey the truth, you have life. You disobey the truth, you have death. That's a principle throughout all of Scripture. Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians, trying to, trying to straighten out this rebel-rousing church. Uh, on on giving on on everything sexuality uh, it was a it was a messy church big city uh, Corinth was but he writes this remember this verse uh, chapter nine verse six remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generous generously you see God's great love God's great love to us is to allow us free will. That's what God established with the principle of reaping and sowing, is free will. Free to choose, free to obey. And it's always the same with God. You know, I did a sermon uh, at least 25 years ago, a three-part sermon, shrinking the gray. You know what the gray is? It's all those places we want to go into, especially with the Word of God, right? 
God's word is black and white. God's word is abundantly clear. The principle of reaping and sowing has been around since man was first created. It's always either or. And the capstone, Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, you can't turn the tables on God. You can't twist his word. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's about the sinful nature and the spirit. The one who sows to the sinful nature from that nature reaps death. The one who sows to the spirit reaps the spiritual life or the eternal life. See, it's always either or with God. It's always been either or with God, even handling our finances. See, the truth is the faithful way is God's way or the unfaithful way, which is my way, to view and use money. But the promise of God for those who obey faithfully is gladness of heart. Gladness of heart is something money can't buy. And I've worked for a very wealthy person. I've read the stories all the time about these people that are exorbitant, opulently wealthy, and yet they're not happy. And they don't experience peace because they were fooled. So what is gladness of heart? Jim, you're the Hebrew expert. You can look it up this week. Uh, But it's an inner joy and peace. It's kind of like uh, one word. Inner joy and peace in our hearts. Joy and peace. No matter what comes. It's a faithfulness. Trusting, willing to trust God in any and all things. Gladness of heart. And the reality is, you know, in Jesus Christ, we already have the most valuable possession, right? We're already as wealthy as as you can imagine, right? We inherit it all. We're co-heirs with Christ. But the reality is, your life and my life is like a coin. And you can spend it any way you want, but you can spend it only once. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, that your your words are, are so full of wisdom and truth, God. And the wise man, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, he builds his house upon the rock, upon Christ and the word of God, Father. Uh, so when the storms and the winds and the rains come, he stands firm. She stands firm and steadfast. But the foolish man doesn't. He doesn't build his house on Christ and the word of God. Let us be a people, Lord, especially this area of trusting you with finance. Let us be a faithful people. Let us be an obedient people. Let us see, Lord, that when we obey this practice, Father, we're really building our entire lives on Christ and his word. In Jesus' name, amen.